The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Need your understanding. Outside of you, there is no understanding. There's, there's foolishness. And so, God, we need your wisdom this morning. Lord, I, I don't know where everyone came from. I don't know uh, who they are, what they've been through, Lord, but, but you do. And so, Lord, meet us right where we are. Please speak to us this morning, um, Lord, so that our joy in you um, would be made deeper um, by what we hear. So, Lord, do great, great, great things for your name this morning as we open your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've been going through the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 John. Chapter 4 is where we are, 1 John 4. If you don't have a Bible, you want to use your smartphones or tablets or whatever, you can follow along there. We're th- we'll, we'll probably silently judge you and think that you're uh, playing Angry Birds, but that's okay. Don't worry about it, all right? Just get the 1 John chapter 4 for us, all right? We're going to start there in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What's, this, what's the theme here of these verses? It's love your brother, right? And, and we've already talked about this. In fact, John, he spent a ton of time on that in chapter 2. He spent a ton of time of it really in the, in the whole letter. And you know what? The word of God, according to the word of God, it is useful and it's helpful. So it's not redundant for redundancy's sake. So there must be something here and I tell you what as I, as I met God here in this passage this week there was a, a piece of gold a nugget of gold if you will that I passed over so many times and what I hope we can do now together is as we look at this mine it for all it's worth and not pass over the treasure that's there because I think there is an incredible incredible treasure here for us as we talk about loving our brothers so so let's look at this passage together verse 7 let us love one another verse 11 we also ought to love one another verse 12, we love one another. Verse 19, we love. Verse 21, must also love his brother. So we're supposed to love our brothers. Can we all agree on that? Speak up. We agree? We agree? All right, we agree on that, right? I agree. I agree. Love your brother. I agree with that on such, like, like on so many 
uh, deep levels there that it's just, of course. Yeah, yeah, love your brother. Of course I'm going to do that. Of course, because that's, that's right. That's, that's the right thing to do. And, you know, as I preached about this, I was thinking about how I preached about love and, and preached about love recently. And, and as I preached about it, I preached with that attitude. Of course. Love your brother. Of course. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Of course. Choose to be kind. Choose to be patient. Choose to be considerate. Choose to be humble. Love. Duh. I'm, I'm with it. But you know what? Because I agree with it so much and I desire it so much and probably the same with you, because of all that, one of the things I ignore because of this attitude of, yeah, of course, I ignore how difficult it is. Like, like really, really hard it is to love like this. It's easy to choose love in certain situations. It's easy. If you go, if you go get to, to be involved with the Jackson Avenue ministry and, and feed the people out there who have that, that need, it is easy to love them. You know, because like their need is right there. You can do something about it. It's just easy. It's easy to pull up and to be kind to them and to be patient with them. It's easy. You know, if you go into the nursery right now and you're keeping someone else's kids, not your kids, I said that, someone else's kids, it's easy to be loving, right? It's easy to just, oh, aren't you just the cutest little bugger eater, uh, booger eater, whatever it is. Like, like it's easy to do that. It's easy to love in certain situations, but it's so, so hard in different situations. It's Think about it, to love your brother when you've been victimized, when your brother stabbed you in the back, when you've been betrayed, when your brother has been hateful towards you, when your brother has harmed you or taken advantage of you. Or, or think about, maybe you have a really special relationship, maybe it's somebody in your family and, and they've betrayed you or they've let you down, right? And you expect so much out of them. Isn't that, doesn't that just knock your legs out from under you? It's, it's so, so hard. Loving your brother's really, really hard. And I don't talk about it enough. I don't, I just don't. And you know, I think that's to our detriment. Because you know, I, I, there's, there's two problems with ignoring the difficulty of this love. One is I'm ill prepared for how difficult it is and I fail in the face of difficulty, right? I, I, I don't count the cost. I don't realize how difficult it's gonna be and then I fail. Like a, a good, I think a good illustration of this is uh, my son, my, my oldest, my four-year-old, I was going to start playing soccer, and so we took him to his first practice this week, and he was just, he was down for soccer, okay? And so we went, we got him the gear, right? We got him his, his cleats and shin guards and everything else you need for that pseudo sport. And uh, so then I brought all that stuff home, and I was like, all right, here's your stuff. And he was like, all right, I got to gear up. That's what he said. I've got to gear up. That's what my four-year-old said. So he gets all his stuff on. He goes, mom, I got my gear on. I'm ready to go. And so we, we go to practice, and he is pumped, and he's got a coach now, and he's like, that's my coach. And he's really excited and like have you ever seen four-year-olds practice soccer no have you ever seen cats in an earthquake then you've seen it like it's the same thing so like the coach is trying to say things max my son most of the time he like the other kids are kicking or whatever he's over this is him like this is what he's doing right here and he's just like i love I love soccer. And he's just like laying here and he's just, ha- he's just having an absolute blast, like just chilling or whatever. But then the coach, he, he says, you know what? There's this new game called Sharks and Minnows. Take your ball. You've got to score. We're going to have some kids trying to stop you. And that was interesting. And uh, so anyway, he's doing that. So he's just running, just running, just nonstop running, trying to play this game. And so once practice is over, he comes over and I was like, was that fun? He goes, yeah, that was fun. And we get in the car and he goes, daddy, I don't want to do that again. And I was like, Why? And he said, I had a lot of fun and, and I made some new friends, but that coach wore me out. And I was like, what are you, t- are you serious? And he goes, yeah, it just wore me out. I looked at it, it was fun, 
but it just wore me out, right? And so like he was so into, I'm going to play soccer. I want to do this. This is what I need to be doing. I'm down. I got my gear. He didn't think about how difficult it would be. And in the face of that difficulty, he just wanted to quit, right? And so, and, and, and then what do you do as a good parent? Like, no, you're never going to quit. Your daddy never quits, right? Shut up, Angela. Your daddy never quits. You're never going to quit, right? And love's the same way. Like, I don't anticipate how difficult it is. And when that difficulty hits me, it kind of takes me back. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. And you know, another, another detriment for us as we ignore the difficulty of love is that it ignores a, a very, very deep truth that, that we need that's life-giving. And here's what it is. Love is not my nature. It's not in my nature, but it is God's nature. And that's, a, that's something we need to know, and that's life-giving. Love is not in my nature, but it's in God's nature. And now, now hold on, we're going we're gonna to dive into something deep here. Love is not my nature. What do I mean by nature? Let me define nature. Okay, here we go. Merriam-Webster, here we go. The inerrant character or basic constitution of a person or thing essence, right? Their essence. It's what they are at their core. It's how they are wired, and that is not me. And that's not you as humans. That's not us. That's not our core. You, you want to know what's at our core? We are broken and sinful. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. Then it goes on to verse 19 and it shows us our heart. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. There's nothing about about that that is loving. Everything listed there is hateful. It's absolutely hateful. There's nothing in my nature that's loving. There's not. My human nature, it's not loving. It's fractured and it's, it's hateful. It just is. But God's nature is love. Look at verse eight. Love is God's nature. Verse eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's not conjured up. He's not practicing someone else's uh, nature. It is who he is. It radiates from him. You know, like the moon, you look at the moon. The moon is bright. Why is it bright? It's bright because it reflects the sun. Why is the sun bright? The sun is bright because the sun is bright. That is its nature. It radiates light, right? The moon doesn't. The moon is, is at best impersonating as it reflects the sun. It is not light. It is darkness as it, as it pretends to be light as it reflects the sun. In the same way, God is love in the way that the sun is light, right? It just is him. He is so much love. It just, it's who he is. It radiates from him. He's not trying to work it up. He's not trying to copy something he's seen, right? It is who he is. God is love. And we see that in the manifestation of his love. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. Check this out, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God is so much so love. He is, he is love so much so that he saved us. He loved us and saved us unilaterally. Like, like he wasn't prompted by anyone or anything to love us. He wasn't responding to our call for help. We weren't calling for help. He wasn't responding to our love. We hated him. He wasn't, he wasn't being prompted by anything else. He is so much love he, that, that he couldn't help but love us. 
Do you get that? That is his nature. He is so much love that when he saw us and he saw us in our depravity and he saw us separated from him, he loved us and he came after us, not prompted by anything else. That's how much it is his nature. That's his love. And that love to send his son to be the substitute for my sins, that love, that's not in me. That is not my nature. And don't you feel that? Don't you feel that? You might say, that's a little harsh. I don't know. Don't you feel that, that pull to be selfish, that pull to defend yourself all the time, or that, that pull to insist on your own way, or to look out for number one, or that pull to not be happy for others, but instead be envious? Don't you feel that? Like, that love, our nature doesn't contain that love. That, that, and so that command to love our brothers, we got a problem. Because our nature doesn't, doesn't jive with that. Our nature doesn't work with that, right? And our problem is you can't overcome your nature. There's a, uh, this neuroscientist, I was listening to an interview with him recently. His name is Dr., this is not a joke. His name is Dr. James Fallon. I know, Jimmy Fallon, I get it. But his name is Dr. James Fallon. He's a neuroscientist. He, he was studying the brains and uh, he was specifically studying psychopaths. He thought that he could identify something in their brain activity that would be able, you'd be able to look at someone's brain activity and say, oh, that is a psychopath. And he did it. He discovered this pattern. And, and so he, he got all these brain scans, these hundreds and hundreds of brain scans from these, these prisoners, these violent offenders. And then he scanned their brains and he looked and in the frontal lobe where, there was in, where empathy is, there wasn't really like any activity whatsoever. And so he looked and in every psychopath of these prisoners, uh, they, they would go and interview them, find out, and they would diagnose them or whatever. They would say, yes, he's a, he has psychopathic tendencies their brain scan would match up and he would see that darkness in the brain. Well, at the same time, he was doing a study on Alzheimer's. And so he used his family's brains. He scanned his, his, his brain, his wife's brain, his children's brain. He used their brains as controls, right? So this is a normal brain and this is a brain with Alzheimer's. Well, that, those scans got mixed into the psychopath scans and into that study. And so as he's flipping through, he sees one and he sees that this brain is a psychopath's brain. And as he looks at it, he says, uh-oh, this doesn't have a prisoner's name on it. I need to find out who this is because there's somebody out there walking around who's a psychopath and doesn't even know it. And he, he does it and he does the research and he finds out it's his brain. It's his own brain. So he starts to think, maybe I'm wrong. You know what? My science is wrong. I'm, I must be wrong. And so he, does, he, he looks back into it and he's not. And as he talks to his family, and he says, I, I, I might have psychopathic tendencies. My, my brain matches that. And they all go, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, we see that. And they start to tell him. Like, they start to tell him stories where he completely lacks empathy for people. And, and uh, he likes to play with people. He, he likes to manipulate for his own amusement. He manipulates, and, and it brings harm to people, and he thinks it's funny, right? And so he realizes, oh, he has this psycho, uh, psychopathic brain. Now, he isn't violent, and one of the reasons they found that out was that uh, your childhood has a lot to do with it. If you have psychopathic tendencies and you have a good childhood, then you can become what he is, which is called a pro-social psychopath, which means that they don't feel the same things that we feel that, that, that have us follow social norms. Like, we follow social norms because we feel it. You know, I feel it's awkward. I feel this is nice. I feel this is mean. He doesn't feel that, but he's learned the social norms. So he keeps himself in them. It, he doesn't have the feelings, but he keeps himself in there in a different way. And so that, that's, that's why he's there. And, and you know what? Once he figured out that he, he did lack empathy and he figured out that he was manipulative and all these things, and he found out he was a psychopath, here's what he said. Since finding all this out and looking into it, I've made an effort to try to change my behavior. 
He says, I've more consciously been doing things that are considered, and this is interesting, this is his word choice, that are considered the right thing to do. So he doesn't feel it. He doesn't know if it's the right thing to do. He thinks, he thinks other people consider it the right thing to do. And thinking more about other people's feelings. But he added, now listen to this. So he's trying to change his nature, right? But listen to what he says. At the same time, I'm not doing this because I'm suddenly nice. I'm doing it because of pride. Because I want to show to everyone and myself that I can pull it off. He's trying to go against his nature. But his nature's winning. His nature's still there at his core. He doesn't all of a sudden feel empathy. He doesn't feel these things. It's fake. Like he can fake uh, compassion. He can fake like being nice. But he said, I'm not nice. I don't feel these things. I'm doing what other people consider are the right thing. His nature's still pulling the strings. We can't overcome that nature. And people do that with loving people, right? Like, like we, we try really hard and we, we do what we think is the right thing to do, but is it authentic? Does it last? You know, that sounds a lot like religion, right? Isn't that religion behavior modification? I'm going to change the way I act so that I'll get some sort of good response, right? But when we just change our behavior, the core of ourself is the same. And what happens? It gets difficult and we fail. Like that love isn't genuine and that love fails. So what's the solution? What was the solution for our psychopath friend here? What would be his solution? If he wants to be normal, if he wants to have a normal brain, what's the solution? He needs a new brain. Like, that's it. Like, he needs a new brain. He'd have to go get a new brain, right? I don't know if you can do that. I do watch a lot of sci-fi stuff. I don't know if that's possible, but he'd have to get a new brain. He needs a new nature. He needs to be rewired. It's the same answer for us. What's our solution? If we want to love, we need a new nature. This nature is not working. It's broken. And this nature is hateful. And it'll always be hateful. I need a new nature. But I don't just need an impression of a new nature. I don't need a copy of a new nature. I need a new nature. And I need the nature that God has, that loving nature. Here's where my world is rocked this week. Here's, here's the piece of gold that I was talking about. Are you ready? Go to verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now that loving nature I'm talking about, it's in us. We have it. He rewired us. He gave us this new nature. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in love and he, in him, and him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that shares the perfect nature of God, that loving nature of God is where? in us he has joined his holy perfect loving spirit he has given that to us he's given us a new nature second corinthians 5 17 therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old has gone that loving nature of god is in us now are you with me like i'm supposed to love my brother my old nature doesn't want to my old nature is hateful but now i have a new nature so that means two things that means that it's possible for us to love like him we look there in verse seven that we've been born of god and we know god we have the nature of god in us which enables us to love in a way i could never love before and not only that i have the knowledge of god that that's constantly teaching me how to love in a way that i've never loved before right so so he we have this nature in us making it possible for us, but also it's purposed for us to love like him. It's purposed. Look at verse 11. Beloved, 
if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love that phrase, ought to. You know, when we, we think about ought to, normally that, that comes to mind like when I correct my children. You know what I mean? Like, like if my, my oldest, I don't know, like, like hits his sister or something, like one of the things I'll say all the time is, son, you are the big brother. You ought to protect your sister. You ought to, you ought, you're the one to take care of your big sister, okay? You, or your little sister. You're the big brother. You ought to protect her, right? And, and what do I mean by ought to? I mean that, that, you know what? This would be a good thing for you to do. And, and you might not, and you might, whatever. Like, but, but you ought to. I don't think that's what it's saying here. We have this new nature in us. And so I think what it says when we ought to, that ought to is like this. Like when, you, when a bird is knocked out of a nest, it ought to fly. When a fish is dropped into the water, it ought to swim. Because that's what it is. That's what it does. Like, like that's its nature. And we ought to love one another because the nature that sent Jesus to the cross for us, that crazy love, that nature is in us. It's in us. So we ought to love one another. It's possible now for us to love one another and it's purposed for us to love one another. And that's great news. But even so, it's still difficult, isn't it? Like, I, I, when I was talking about the difficulty of loving people, I still had the Holy Spirit when I was struggling to love people. What's going on here? Well, it's because now we have these two natures at war within us. And the scripture talks about it. The nature of man versus the nature of God. Galatians five seventeen. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So we see that like, we have these two natures inside of us. I, I think a good illustration, uh, anybody, if you're familiar with Joni, uh, Jody Erickson Tata, uh, she was uh, paralyzed uh, from the neck down in a diving accident. And right after the accident, they, they brought her into a hospital to run extensive tests. And she's on a, she's on a bed and uh, her gown kind of, kind of slides off to the side, leaving her a little exposed. And so she, she vividly remembers, this in her book, she said she vividly remembers just telling her hands to cover herself, right? Something so simple and something she could have done before the accident. But what happened? Her body was at war with her mind. It wouldn't do it. She's in there in her mind and that's all she wants. It's all she's concentrated on. Move, 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 move. And they won't. I think in the same way, we, we have these two natures in us, right? Paul talks about that. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. And we've all been there, right? That's the two natures in us just battling it out. But now, because we have this other nature, we have this nature of God in us, we can choose to embrace this new nature or not. And if you want to love your brother, you have to embrace your new nature. In fact, your little notes right there, go ahead. See the title at the top of your notes says embrace your nature. Go ahead, write in new right there. Embrace your new nature, right? We don't want to embrace the old nature. We've done that. We see where that ends. We want to embrace your new nature. So how do we do that? Well, John gives us the answer, and the answer is abide. We abide. We abide first in God. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Abide means to remain. So remaining in relationship with God. And that makes sense because if your relationship with the source of this new nature falters, then your new nature will falter, right? As you, you, you'll be, it'll be difficult to embrace something that you're cutting the life source off of, right? I mean, in John 15, Jesus gives us a picture of abiding in God. And the picture he gives is the vine and the branches. We've, some of you have heard this before, the vine and the branches. He's the vine and we are the branches. And, and it says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, 
He's thrown away like a branch and withers, right? That's what happens to a branch. Cut off from the life source, it withers. I don't have a green thumb. Anybody here with a green thumb? Wash your hands more. That's disgusting. But I don't, I don't have a green thumb. Uh, so like for, for flowers and stuff for my wife, I just go buy them. Like whatever. I, I go to the, the finest of uh, a florist. Uh, it's, a, it's a French place over here. It's called Croguer. And uh, they have just some like really nice stuff. It's really great. I'll bring those flowers. I'll just buy flowers and bring them home. And what happens? They, they wilt after a while. They, they wither away. Why? Because they're cut off. They're cut off from their source of life. They are dying there. And in the same way, if we, aren't, uh, if we don't remain in our relationship with God, then our new nature, it's, it's just withering. The source of that new nature is cut off. We're, it's just withering. And in John 15, we get to see what, what uh, abiding looks like. Verse 10, it says, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So abiding in God is a constant, obedient relationship with him. And, and, that, and this verse says that Jesus' relationship with the Father is our example. And what, what did Jesus do? He kept the Father's commandments always. He always listened to the Father, and he always kept his commandments. That means that there wasn't an area of his, of his life off limits to the Father. Whatever the Father wanted, he did it. And to the extreme, like to the extreme where he is in the garden facing the cross and facing the wrath of God for our sins, he knows that's what's next, and he's sweating blood, he's that stressed out about it, right? And he's going before the Father, and he says, look, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But then what does he say? He shows us what it looks like to abide in God, whatever you want. I don't want to do this, but whatever you want, I'm going to do what you want, Right? And that's abiding in God. And so for us to abide in God, we need to not section off areas of our lives. Instead, we need to say, God, it's all open to you. I'll be obedient in every area. And when we start to embrace something or we start to disobey God in in any area of our life, I don't care what it is, whether it's your finances or whether it's the way you spend your time or how you treat your coworker, I don't care. But when we start to say, you know what, I'm gonna do it my way, when we ignore what God wants in any area of our life, you're pinching off that life source to the new nature and you begin to suffer and your your new life begins to wither. You know, know, a, a personal example of mine you know, there was a, an area of my life, I remember this very vividly, there's an area of my life where um, I was just disobedient. Like, I knew that this didn't make the Lord happy. I knew that this wasn't what he wanted for me, but I didn't care. Like, you know what, God? I, we're good over here, right? We're good. Like, like my marriage is good. Like, I'm good with my kids. Like, I got, like, I, I, I'm working at a church, right? I'm trying, to, I'm doing all this good. Like, what does this matter? And I mean, fill in the blank. It could have been anything. I mean, what does this matter? What does it matter? how I spend my money? What, is it, what does it matter how, how I speak to that person that I don't like? What, is, what does any of that matter? What does it matter the thoughts that go on in my head? What does that matter? We're good, right? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you, without telling you the details, I'll tell you, it, all of this over here started to wither and started to suffer, right? Because I was choking off that life source. I was being disobedient to the Father, and the Father said, fine, you don't want to be obedient, then, then you won't have the blessings that go along with obedience, and my life started to, to wither, and finally, I, I remember a friend confronting me, and he said, what is really going on with you? What is really going on? And what he was asking was, where's that area of your life where you're pinching off that life source, where you're not abiding in God? And, and after, after eliminating that, after identifying that and, and, and submitting that to the Lord, guess what? His life started to fill every other part of my life. And so we need to abide in Him. And we also abide in love. Look at verse 16. So, We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What does that mean, to remain in love? What does that look like? 
keep choosing to love. Just keep choosing to love. Don't give up because it's hard. God abides in us and so you can do it. Even when people hate you, you can still abide in love. Even when it will cost you something, maybe especially when it will cost you something, abide in love. Keep choosing to love. Don't give up because you failed. I know that's, that's me so often. God still abides in you. But I was so hateful. God abides in you. Forgive and keep loving. Keep choosing to love. Embrace your new nature by abiding in God and abiding in love. And I want us to, to, to look at this last thing together. What does God do for us as we embrace our new nature and abide in him and abide in love? Look at verse 17 through 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. When we abide in God and we abide in love, that's his love perfected. Not like it had a blemish and we made it good. That his love accomplished, his love worked out in us. When we do that, when we love him and we love people, we can have full confidence that you know what? When I stand before the Father on the day of judgment, which we all will, I can stand with full confidence that I am his, I'll be accepted by him, and that my sins are washed away. We have full confidence before the Father. And one of the ways we build that confidence is we see his love accomplished in us. We, we love other people and we see the Holy Spirit love through us in ways that, that we can't do. And that builds our confidence. So when we abide in God and live out his love to our brothers, we can live with full confidence in the face of the day of judgment. I want to uh, close with this. I'm gonna, we're, we're about to serve communion and so the band's going to come back up. But Isn't it good to know that loving our brothers, following that commandment, is not up to our old nature? Isn't it good to know that it's not up to me fighting that that old nature just with my willpower? Instead, God says, here, I'm going to give you my nature. I'm going to fill you with, with my nature. And now it's up to us, brothers and sisters, to embrace that nature. So let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. Are you abiding in God? Like nothing off limits. Are you abiding in love? And what I mean is, are you not giving up on loving people, no matter the cost, no matter the difficulty, no matter who it is? Are you abiding in love? And to everyone, to everyone out there, let me ask you this. Do you have full confidence that on the day of judgment you'll be with God and not sin away from him? Do you have full confidence? Because if you want it, look here at our scripture. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. You can have that new life. You can have it if you believe, if you'll surrender your life to Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to, um, then we're going to take communion. I'll tell you what that's going to be like. But, but let me pray for us real quick. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this new nature that you've given to those who follow you. That, Lord, you, you've put literally this, this loving nature within me. So I'm without excuse. I can love my brother because you're enabling me to do it. You've given me a nature of love. And, and it's why you've given it to me. So I can love. God, help me abide in you. If there's an area of my life that, that I'm pushing you away, where I'm, I'm, I, may I realize it, may I realize that I'm cutting off my own life source. And so God, like, help me with that and, and help my brothers and sisters with that. It's an area of our life where we need to be faithful to you. We need to be obedient to you and abide in you. God, with love, help me keep choosing to love people. The same thing with my brothers and sisters. Help us to keep choosing to love. In the face of hatred, 
in the face of difficulty, in the face of whatever, help us choose to love, to abide in love, and to watch you show up. Because when we love, it's not us. It's you doing it through us. All we do is we participate. We just choose. We say, okay, God, I'm going to be faithful. And then we get to watch you love people through us to change our hearts and change our attitudes and give us kind words and things that, that we aren't capable of. So God, help us keep making that choice and watching you do great, great things. And Lord, for those in this room that they have no confidence as they stand before you, may today be the day where they surrender their life to you. May today be the day that they abide in you and you in them. If that's you out there, just talk to God right where we are. You don't have to do it out loud. You can do it in the quietness of your own heart, your own head. Just talk to God. Just say something like this, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I know my sin deserves punishment. I know my sin separates me from you. But I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. I believe you died to take away that sin. And I believe you rose from the dead. And since you're alive, I can be alive. So God, save me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me yours from this day forward. Amen. We're about to take communion together. And I want you to know that if that was you who prayed that prayer, or, or you, you expressed that to the Lord in some way, you're his now. You're his child now. You have a new life. We're going to take communion in just a minute. I'll explain what that is. But before, after we do that, I, I'll be right here. You come talk with me. I want to talk to you about what's next, about getting to know the Lord Jesus, getting to know your new dad, because that's who God is now. He's your father. And so you, you come find me so we can talk about that, and I can rejoice with you. We're going to take communion, and this is really special. Uh, this, is, this is something literally the Lord has given us. I'm going to ask our elders and whoever else is going to serve it to go ahead and come forward and take your place. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is an opportunity for us as brothers and sisters. And by the way, if you prayed that prayer, if you gave your life to Lord Jesus, this is for you now. You're a part of his family. This is a, a, something that the Lord Jesus gave us. Literally, he did it and he gave it to us. For us to stop together as a family and to remember his body broken, to remember his blood poured out. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm super pumped you're here. But this isn't for you. You can stay seated. No one's going to come pull you out of your chair. Just stay seated. Or if for some reason you feel like you can't come take communion today and you need to stay in your seat, stay in your seat. Maybe you've got something you need to work out with somebody else. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that you need to work out. Then stay in your seat. That's okay. Stay in your seat. Honor the Lord in that way. But for the rest of us, the ushers are going to come down the aisle. They're going to dismiss you by row. Come up, take the bread, dip it in the juice, eat it, and return to your seat. And we're going to celebrate the Lord today, uh, together today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come to your table again. Thank you for the opportunity to, to stop in our busy, crazy world and just remember 
that you're not some religious ideology. You're not just some icon. You were the word that became flesh and your body was broken. Your literal body was broken and your blood was poured out for us. Help us feel the weight of that this morning. The the joyful weight of that this morning. So God, may what we do now honor you and make you happy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.